Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On this episode of the Front Office Podcast, we talk a little NBA and some big NFL news. Welcome to the Front Office Podcast. I am your host, Derek Dawson. Um, had a great past weekend of sports. Uh, forgot to tell you guys, I was 4-0 in the divisional rounds with uh, Kansas City, Cincinnati, the Rams, and the Niners winning their games. Um, this week, I had Cincinnati and the Niners so I'm one and one there. So five and one for those two weeks. Um, <clears throat> Cincinnati Bengals ended up going to Kansas City and beating Kansas City in the AFC Championship, which was a great game. Uh, Joe Burrow is that dude, y'all. And I think that they showed Kansas City or the rest of the NFL how to beat Kansas City. And, and I think Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase are going to be a problem for a long time. The Cincinnati Public Schools, they uh, changed their academic calendar. They're giving the students and the staff the day off after the Super Bowl. So they're going in thinking that they're going to win. Um, I think Cincinnati is going to beat the Rams in Los Angeles. But I do want to say that it's, it's great to see stars at the Rams games like they were at the Laker games. You don't get to see a lot of stars at football games in just one um, game. You know, you may see one sprinkled here or there, but at the Ram game, Matt Johnson, you know, uh, Rihanna, Blue Ivy, uh, Governor, uh, the list goes on and on and on. And I'm loving the fact that at SoFi Stadium, you know, the stars come out. It's Hollywood. Uh, they're going to be in for a rude awakening, though, because... Cincinnati is going to win that game um, over the Rams. And on the other side, that Ram 49er game was pretty awesome. Um, I feel a little bad for Jimmy Garoppolo because had he won the Super Bowl, they would have made the Niners' decision that much harder to trading him. But it's Trey Lance day now, or it's Trey Lance time. And Jimmy's going to Find a spot, hopefully. I'm here in Pittsburgh. That'd be a nice spot for him. I'd probably go to Tampa and follow Jim, uh, follow Tom Brady, um, who retired from the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, Houston's an, an option, but Houston's not close enough to winning. If Aaron Rodgers leaves, I don't know if he wants to follow Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, but I, my prediction is that he'll end up in Tampa or Pittsburgh. And as I mentioned, Tom Brady retired after a stellar NFL career. You know, he, uh, league passing record, 84,000 
500 yards. If you can really just think about that, 84,000 yards and 624 touchdowns. What's next for Tom? Same question that I had for Peyton Manning when he retired, Eli Manning. Um, Does he jump in a TV, like go the Tony Romo route? I don't know if Tom has that personality. Or does he go into the ownership side of it? The Denver Broncos are for sale. I can see Peyton and Tom kind of teaming up to purchase the Broncos. They're estimated at $4 billion. So they're going to need a couple more people to come in with them. But it'll be interesting to see who the Broncos on the new ownership group is. And we'll get more on that later. Y'all know where I'm going. Uh, Josh McDaniel and the Raiders have come to an agreement to be the Raiders new head coach. Dave Ziegler is the new general manager. They both come from New England. Um, So Ziegler got hired and hired Josh McDaniel. And and y'all see where I'm going. Um, He hired his buddy as a lot of us would do. You know, Um, a lot of teams do that. They hire their, their people that they're most, that they've worked with before that they're most comfortable with. And so I was hoping for Lewis Riddick and a combination of Lewis Riddick and Brian Flores. I said that in the last couple of episodes. Um, you know, we'll get more on that in a minute for the Raiders, but that didn't happen. Um, I'm not mad at the Josh McDaniel hiring. He said that he had two years in Denver prior to, it's funny how all this is all going and, with involving the same bunch of teams, same players, huh? Um, his two year failure in Denver prepared him for this challenge. So I'm hopeful that the Raiders do well with Josh McDaniel at the helm. Their opponents came out, not their schedule, but their opponents for next year. So they do have the Niners at home. I will be at that game. The two road games that I'm going to go to is Seattle and New Orleans. Uh, I went a couple years ago. I think that was opening week with the homie Dev and Keith and little Keith. Um, so that that's going to be fun. Um, where's Aaron Rodgers going? You know, I got some messages from people saying that Aaron Rodgers is going to the Niners. But then what do you do with Trey Lance? You know, you, you spent a lot of capital on Trey Lance. And I'm not sure if... Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers seems like he holds grudges, meaning he always said, even on draft day, he's going to make the Niners regret not um, drafting him, which I'm sure they do. And they drafted Alex Smith instead. And I think that he still is kind of holding on to that. Could he go replace Russell Wilson if Russell Wilson left just to stick it to the Niners? I can see Aaron Rodgers doing that. Could he um, see if Derek Carr has moved and go to with Josh McDaniel to Vegas? I can see Aaron Rodgers doing that. I'm not sure if I can see Aaron Rodgers going to the team that didn't draft him, even though it's back home in Northern California. But we'll see um, what happens with Aaron Rodgers. My prediction is Aaron Rodgers stays in Green Bay. Jimmy G goes to Pittsburgh. Jameis Winston, Jameis Winston, 
Yes, Jameis Winston goes back to Tampa, um, which he had a great year before Tom showed up. Bruce Arians and those guys know him. They drafted him. So he he led the league in passing. I think last year he was there with like 5,000 yards. So that offense is works for him. Um, who else is there? Derek Carr. Where does Derek Carr go? Does he stay? I think Derek Carr stays one more year. Um, sometimes I think Derek Carr is the problem. Sometimes I think he's not the problem. He's put up. He carried the Raiders. At a time when nobody was carrying the Raiders, without Darren Waller for weeks, without his top receiver in Henry Ruggs, um, he made uh, Hunter Renfro a household name. And so I think that Derek Carr stays in Las Vegas. The NFL awards a million dollars for studies on cannabis. Huh? Yes. And the effects on pain management in players. Right. They, the statement says we're always interested in trying to prove, improve our approach and our treatment for acute and chronic pain in NFL players. And we always want to make sure that our players are receiving the most up to date medical consistent consensus around any of these treatments. So our burden of proof is really high for NFL players. Anytime we want to introduce a new therapy. We have to understand how that decision might impact their well-being and their performance. So we're going to see how the cannabis game and the NFL works together. Moving on to the NBA. The Eastern Conference, surprisingly, the top six teams are separated by three games. Chicago is still maintaining the lead in the Eastern Conference, and that's still without Lonzo Ball. Uh, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine are still having a heck of a season. Uh, the Miami Heat. I, I don't know why we expect anything less from the Miami Heat. They were in the finals a couple years ago uh, in the bubble. They're continuing the ball out. Bam Adebayo is back. Um, so much needed. Big is back. The Philadelphia 76ers and the Milwaukee Bucks are both one game out. Joel Embiid is continuing to put up MVP numbers. Uh, I think he, it's going to be a two person race in the NBA MVP. Uh, Joel Embiid is one of those people. John Morant, I think is the other one. The Milwaukee Bucks defending, uh, champions are, are also one game back. Giannis is continuing to be a triple double machine and being unstoppable. The continued surprise you guys in the Eastern conference are those Cleveland Cavaliers. With a record of 31 and 21, there are one and a half games out of first place in the Eastern Conference. Can you like how crazy is that? That is insane. Um, very young team. Darius Garland is having a great year. Evan Mobley is probably going to win the rookie of the year. Um so those those guys are really doing an exceptional job, and that is just amazing. Followed by Brooklyn, without Kevin Durant, they're just sitting there lying in wait. You know, uh, Harden is looks like he's getting back to form, but I don't know what. Um, I, I don't, Kyrie, you know, of course, isn't playing in New York in Brooklyn, um, but Brooklyn looks like they're still going to be like just. 
I don't know what to call it. I'm, I'm losing my words here because Brooklyn, like those top six teams, I don't, first of all, let me back up. I don't think Cleveland is going to win the championship only because of their youth, but they're going to be problems for years to come. I wonder sometimes if LeBron thinks about getting traded back to Cleveland. If he thinks that he could take them over the hump, and I think he probably could. Could you imagine the storyline of LeBron getting traded back to Cleveland for, let's say, Ricky Rubio's expiring contract and some change? And and LeBron and the Cavs go back to the finals and, and win. I don't know where LeBron could. I guess he could start at the point guard and move Garland to the two. Maybe a Coral goes to the bench or Markinen goes to the bench, but who who knows? The Atlanta Hawks are starting to catch fire. You know, they won eight out of their last ten. They won seven in a row. They were having a disappointing season up until about a week and a half ago. Look at the Eastern Conference here. There are five teams with thirty or more wins. And that is unheard of. Remember when the West was was so powerful? And, and just controlling the NBA narrative. Well, the East is caught up. Um, over in the Eastern Con- or in the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns are still doing an exceptional job. Monty Williams and James Jones are having an NBA best 41 and 10 record at the All-Star break. Um, followed by the Golden State Warriors who, well, back up a little bit, Devin Booker and Chris Paul, both All-Star reserves. Phoenix is, is still looking like a problem. Mikael Bridges is, is continuing to grow and develop. But that second team right below them, the Golden State Warriors, they've had to sit a few people. You know, they had to rest Steph Curry. You know, uh, Draymond Green still isn't back. Clay Thompson is still working him in. The three youngsters, Jordan Poole, Jonathan Kaminga, and Moses Moody. The Warriors... It's crazy that they're, they've had a window. They had a two year layoff and then opened that window right back up. The future is mighty bright. I'm, I'm hoping James Wiseman can, can get on track because they're going to, they're going to be a problem. Jonathan Kaminga is only 19 years old, you guys. James Wiseman is 20. Moses Moody is 20. Jordan Poole is 21. That is insane. Um, Jordan Poole's contract is up and I think that he will take, I don't think he's going to get a max deal. I don't think anyone has the money to pay him a max deal. The Orlando, Orlando doesn't need him. You know, those, the teams who do Cleveland doesn't need him. Uh, the teams who do, I guess Cleveland could use him. They could use him and throw him in the two next to Darius, Darius Garland. Uh, but the teams who have the money, I don't think Jordan Poole will go to those teams because he can, let's say he got 20 million with one of those teams and besides Cleveland, because I think Cleveland's going to continue to progress. But let's say he got $20 million from one of those teams and they continue to lose. Would you rather have 20 million in, in Orlando or 15 million winning in San Francisco? Uh, you know, all money ain't good money, y'all. And I know that's just going to be his first big deal. So he may go get the money, but he could take a little less. The Warriors can go over the cap to sign him. Um, so that's going to be very interesting. Um, the Warriors may need to think about drafting another big 
just as insurance for James Wiseman. Uh, the Illinois kid, Kofi Cockburn, 37 points and 11 rebounds. He's a seven footer with power. And I don't think he's going to go in the first round uh, just because I just don't think he will. So he might be sitting there at 28, 29 for the Warriors to be able to snatch him up. There's a kid out of uh, University of San Francisco. I, the name just escapes me. Um, he's a point guard and. You know, I, I could see him getting drafted by the Warriors as well because they got to start thinking of that backup for Steph Curry. I thought Jordan Poole would be it, but Jordan Poole's a not a ball handler. He's not a distributor. And this kid out of USF, uh, I think might be a nice project for the Warriors and their future development to go along with the rest of those youngsters. The Memphis Grizzlies, you guys, they're not playing. John Morant's not playing. He's going for the MVP. He reminds me of Allen Iverson. He reminds me mixed with, I don't know who I mix him with, but he has just taken that that city and state under his wing. He said the other day after they beat the Knicks, you know, we don't care about, we want the smoke pretty much. We go up the chimney. He doesn't care. You can't stop him. You know, He's continuing to develop that three-point shot. And once that gets to a po- another summer of three-point shooting, Memphis is going to continue to be a problem. Um, they have a lot of young, they have a nice young core, Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, Dylan Brooks is a little hurt. Desmond Bain has been a special player. Uh, I think he was the 30th pick in the draft. And he is a nice piece next to John Morant and the rookie, uh, Zaire Williams out of Stanford. Is also starting to come around. So I'm looking forward for Memphis to do big things. The Utah Jazz had some bad news. Joe Ingles is lost for the year with a torn ACL. And he's a pivotal part in the Utah Jazz success. Um, in Portland, CJ McCollum is back. But I think the emergence of Anthony Simons has really you know, made CJ McCollum expendable. Uh, Dame Lillard is, is had some surgery. So I don't know if he's tradable at this point. Um, but with the money due to both CJ and Dame and with Anthony Simons up for an extension, it may, it's definitely time to move CJ McCollum because Anthony Simons is younger, <laughs> cheaper. And those are probably the two most important things. Not better, but will be better. Uh, the Sacramento Kings have moved on from the Ben Simmons sweepstakes. I don't understand what Philly is doing with Ben Simmons. I do understand, but I don't understand. They they are wasting Joel Embiid's prime by holding on to Ben Simmons. You know, the, the Sixers front office seems to be a little bitter that Ben Simmons doesn't want to play for them anymore. And if that is indeed the case, they're just holding on to him just to piss he and Rich Paul off. He's been fined over $19 million. Fines, fines are lost out on $19 million by not playing this year. And the Kings pulled out from uh, making that trade for Ben Simmons. You have to wonder what that trade was. You have to wonder if Philly should just think about not trying to get another all-star, but maybe some complimentary pieces, the Buddy Hills of the world, the Tyrese Halliburton's of the world, uh, things of that sort. Um, Ty- Tyrese Maxey is is having a phenomenal year with the 
with Ben Simmons not being in. So the pieces are still there for Philadelphia. They can make that move and definitely be a con- well, they are a contender now, but be even a better contender for the Eastern Conference. I've noticed last week the Warriors played the Houston Rockets and Kevin Porter Jr. He, he's been on, well, he's been talked about on the uh, podcast before. Uh, he was kind of talking crazy to Steph, staring at him, pulled up on him, like just like, you know, going at Steph verbally. Steph being the person that he is, just set back, quiet assassin, went for 21 in the fourth quarter on him. Sometimes I wonder, it's, it's one thing to talk trash. It's another thing to talk trash to goats. Right? Because same thing with Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. Remember when Chris Childs punched Kobe Bryant? <laughs> Remember that? Remember when, when the, uh, the Kobe stopper, Ruben, Ruben Patterson, uh, was talking trash. And now Kevin Porter Jr. I, I just, that, there has to be a point where you don't poke the bears. I ain't talking about Chicago bears either. You don't poke the bear. Because that bear will rip you apart. And I think the youngsters really don't understand. I'm not saying, you know, don't play your game. And I'm not saying don't uh, get into the heat of the battle. I'm just saying just be mindful of who you're battling. You know, we hear about David and Goliath. He's Goliath. Steph's Goliath. But you ain't David. (laughs) Kevin Porter Jr. So might want to be a little bit mindful of that. The NBA All-Star Weekend uh, has announced that the uh, Rising Challenge, Rising Stars Challenge will include some G League Ignite players, which is awesome. It gives those G League Ignite players some exposure. Jaden Hardy, Dyson Daniels, Scoot Henderson, and Marjan Bochamp. The four of them. Join 12 players from each of the 20 and 21 NBA draft classes and making up the 28 players who will participate in the league's annual showcase for Stars of Tomorrow as part of the All-Star Weekend. Good for those guys. Good for the G League Ignite. Bochamp is currently ranked 14th overall in next year's NBA draft. Um, Dyson Daniels is 16th and Hardy is 17th. So they're going to be first rounders. Um, Scoot Henderson was a 17-year-old kid, so he's not available to come out yet. He's got to spend two years in the G League Ignite. Um, but he's like a top pick in the 2023 draft. They have him like scheduled at second overall in the 2023 draft. So it'll be nice to see those four kids get some uh, shine, get some of the, the, the lights and cameras on them and enjoy that All-Star weekend. They won't uh, be playing, but they'll be able to do the... Uh, Rising Stars Challenge. So that's something to definitely look forward to, to see how they respond to that. Here's something I found interesting. Grambling State, the HBCU, is planning to announce a new name, image, and likeness deal that will compensate each of the school's scholarship athletes. Name, and image, and likeness deal. That means these college students can get paid for companies, for uh, autographs, um, for things of that sort. Pretty much, it's set to announce that deal 
for all scholarship athletes where every Grambling athlete receives an annual income for their NIL. It's the first of its kind, you guys. Um, it also, it's gaining traction for elite high school. I'm reading this from Bleacher Report. Elite high school athletes um, will start committing even more so to these uh, HBCUs. And, you know, it's it's crazy. I mean, I'm not saying thanks to Deion Sanders, but what he's doing for the HBCUs is allowing these these high school kids to uh, shun the higher schools and go to the HBCUs. Um, and now with this NIL deal that's coming to these schools, it's going to allow these these kids to get paid. Hugh Jackson, and we'll talk about him more a little bit later, is the coach of Gremlin State and looking forward to um, seeing what happens on the landscape of the NIL. Uh, Duke is playing, Duke football team is playing in HBCU. They added them on the schedule this year. So you're going to start seeing a lot of Power 5 schools uh, inviting these these teams, inviting these uh, teams to come play them. There's an HBCU combine for the NFL scouts, a two-day event connecting all 32 teams with formal interviews uh, for the HBCU combine. So since uh, this was one of the articles I read, since the vast majority of the HBCU combine participants will either be late round picks or undrafted free agents, they will need to overcome the odds to make it to the NFL. NFL. In order to do that, they're going to have to kill it in those interviews. Teams want to hear their stories. They want to understand their adversity that they've been going through. And they want to really gauge, I feel, that they how to become pros. Um, the HBCUs haven't had enough prof- prospects to have a, its own pro day. But this is a great opportunity to showcase some of those skills. I, I do believe that there are going to be five to ten HBCU players in this NFL draft. Um which is awesome for the programs. Um, I don't know if you, you heard that podcast last episode or two episodes ago. And pretty much it's making a lot of these other big schools take notice, first of all, with these uh, players, you know, committing to the HBCU classes or schools. But it's also making the HBCU schools um step their game up all the way around. Speaking of HBCUs, there were several HBCUs that have reported bomb threats on the first day of Black History Month. And they had to pretty much shut down the schools because most of the schools were getting bomb threats. Now, think about that, people. Think about that. You remember the church bombings in the South back in the 60s? Four little girls who were killed. It it kind of seems like that's happening again. And it always seems this is this is a sports podcast, first of all. OK, but we talk about current events that revolve around sports. We also just talk about things that are happening on the, on the landscape 
in the world that we live in. Six juveniles who have been labeled as being tech savvy have been identified as persons of interest by the FBI in connection to a series of bomb threats that were issued to several historically black colleges and universities. Six juveniles. Parents, you better start monitoring what your children are doing. Remember the kid who shot up the school a few months ago and his parents uh, are being um, on trial for that, for buying a gun and all that. These parents are going to start. You do better and teach your kids how to do better because those six juveniles and I don't know who these kids are. They could be black for all I know. doesn't matter. Six juveniles. I mean, I don't know. But the six juveniles that that are tech savvy enough to to issue bomb threats to HBCUs. It's very disturbing. Very disturbing. And that's been happening forever, guys. That's been happening forever. I just hope that people. Um can do better. North Carolina A&T. That was the school. They will play September 17th at Duke. That's huge. I'm sure Duke gave them a huge check to come play for them. Let's stay a little bit off top, a little bit on topic, but on a but off topic. Jackie Robinson's plaque was defaced by gunshots. Right. So there's a plaque down in his hometown. Uh, in Georgia and it was shot up same thing with Emmett Till's um, monument where he was brutally killed murdered was shot up I remember hearing that maybe a year or two ago Um, again why would we do that why would we take part target practice on something like that anyway the plaque has since been moved and it will be displayed at the uh, Negro League Museum. The thing that I don't understand is why don't you just shoot, I don't know, uh, go duck hunting or something or, or shoot a tree or something. Why are you doing things like that? And the thing about, and I don't know who did it, I don't know if they were black or white. (laughs) The thing about it is. Why are you doing that? Why are you so upset that you got to deface something and it's always someone else's property? If you want target practice, won't you shoot up your own stuff? And why is it always. Legends, why is it always. People who have done things for the greater good. Why is it always probably it's unnecessary. And I think the people who, I mean, there's there's probably no way that they're going to be able to find out who's, who did that, but do that in, in daylight. And, and, and if, if you're black or white and you're doing that, do it in front of some black folks, <laughs> I'm trying to be politically correct here, but do that in front of some people and, and let's just see what happens. That's kind of like it's kind of like what John Morant said. 
we want the smoke. <laughs> we go up the chimney. And all I'm saying is, you know what? Haters are going to hate. People are going to miserable people. Miserable people are going to do miserable things. But we as a society have to hold people accountable for those types of things. I don't know if it's racially involved. I'm not going to even guess. I can assume you can assume. We all can assume just do better. Floyd Mayweather Jr. is set to debut his NASCAR team. Floyd Mayweather is in NASCAR, y'all. The Money Team Racing is set for Daytona 500 later this month. Um, That's going to be amazing. Floyd is putting his hand in a bunch of things. You know, a lot of people are diversifying. And uh, Pitbull, the, the, is he a rapper? I guess he's a rapper. Same thing with him. Um, he's, he's in track horse racing. It's, it, I'm amazed. I'm, I want to see how Floyd jumps into NASCAR. We, we know the history of NASCAR with the Confederate flags flown out and this, that, and the other. And a lot of folks don't like Floyd. <laughs> so for him to jump into NASCAR, he's going to have the best mechanics. He's going to have, you know, that, you know why Joe Gibbs racing was so, um, good because Joe Gibbs racing had the money, you know, with, with, with engines and transmissions and tires and mechanics. Floyd's going to make these cars like rockets. And I'm looking forward to seeing Floyd win. I'm not a Floyd fan. I don't dislike Floyd, Floyd, you know, but I am pulling for the, the, the money team racing because I just want to see how things are going to, how people are going to react when, when this, this car is just running past everyone. Um, looking forward to seeing that. Detroit first black female owned skating club opens up. So pretty much dream Detroit skating Academy. Um, are pretty much helping little black girls learn how to skate, ice skate. That's about to be lit. I'm loving people changing the mindset, changing the narrative, changing the stereotypes and doing different things. I'm definitely looking forward to to that because they're helping young and aspiring figure skaters, you know. And we know how figure skating. How how the the landscape of figure skating is, but to see different people doing it is going to be amazing. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. The reason why I talk about these kinds of things is because it's out of the ordinary. You know, when, when I can talk basketball, I can talk football, you know, a little bit of baseball, but I like talking about things that other people don't talk about. I like talking about things that are out of the ordinary that people just, Oh, that's a good topic. It's a great topic. And the reason being is because we're always programmed to do the same thing, right? But if you're teaching kids in Detroit, and these are low-income youths, you know, um, figure skating lessons, you can imagine, remember when Tiger Woods was playing golf at two years old and what he became? You can imagine what some of the, the next landscape, the next generation is going to be looking at when these others, when these smaller kids um, are are doing things that are out of the ordinary. Looking forward to that.
my my five-year-old niece is a gymnast and she's doing flips and and all kinds of stuff and and i'm waiting to see what that turns into so it's just different things that people are doing out of the ordinary that i'm appreciative of and i want to see that continue that's what we say people hate on each other so much that they can't see the bigger picture yeah you know what I'm saying? Like, you got to start from... So I tell people all the time, get you some product. Get into the game. You hating on somebody that's actually doing something. Stop mm-hmm. that. Yeah. You got time to hate. You ain't got no time to get no bread. I tell people <laughs> yeah. all the time. You know, you sitting around hating. You don't have nothing because you hating. Then you wake up the next morning and angry because your boy already surpassed you. Yeah, yeah. And you, you, you could have been doing the same thing. Everybody got 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's what you do with your 24 yeah. hours. You know what I'm saying? I take my 24 hours and I take it serious. I'm like, okay, I get enough rest. The next thing you know, I'm going hard. I'm going hard because I want to better myself. No matter what. Like you say, you can feel a thousand times. That don't matter. It's that thousand and one time that you make it. Yeah, that's man. Take like, all this that pain it. away. It's like, going to take the pain away. Like, for real. Like, it don't. Even when somebody counts you out. I tell people all the time, the haters motive. That was from Master P. I want to throw that in there just because sometimes y'all need reminders. Stop hating. Stop hating. For real. It's that simple. Stop hating. The haters motivate me. <laughs> Stop hating. The NBA um, redesigned the All-Star Game MVP trophy um, for the late, great Kobe Bryant. The base has eight sides which is a nod to Kobe Bryant's jersey number, 18 stars on the outside of the base, which represents Bryant's 18 all-star selections. It's two inches high, which is a tribute to him being named the MVP of the 2002 all-star game. They really put went into depth on this all-star game MVP trophy. The first level has 24 stars, which represents each all-star in the game. And to and nod to Brian's other jersey number. The first level is seven inches high, which is a tribute to Brian being named the MVP in the 2007 All-Star Game. There's more. The second level has 10 stars, which represents the All-Star Game starters and the jersey number Brian wore in the USA Basketball. Level two is nine inches, which represents Brian's 2009 All-Star MVP trophy. The third level has five stars to represent the unity of an NBA team as well as Bryant's five NBA championships. Level three is 11 inches high, which represents Bryant's 2011 All-Star MVP trophy. And finally, the fourth level is shaped like a star to represent the Star of Stars as well as Bryant's MVP award. Looking forward to seeing who wins that All-Star, the first Kobe Bryant NBA All-Star Award. Looking forward to that. Oh, no, you didn't. Wait a minute. No, you didn't. Hey, hey, Jay. Hey, Jay. Jay. Jay, come back here. Jay. You disloyal, fool-ass bitch made punk. Jay. I need my money. Oh, you motherfuckers. <laughs> okay. 
All right. I'm putting cases on all you bitches. Huh? You think you can do this? Jay! You think you can do this to me? You motherfuckers will be playing basketball in Pelican Bay when I get finished with you. Shoe program. 23 hour lockdown. I'm the man up in this piece. You'll never see the light of day. Who the f you think you fucking with? I'm the police. I run here. You just live here. Yeah, that's right. You better walk away. Go on, walk away, because I'm going to burn this motherfucker down. King Kong ain't got on me. And finally, first of all, y'all recognize that. The great Denzel Washington in Training Day. Now, why do you think I would be playing that clip prior to this last story? Hmm. Brian Flores, ex-Miami Dolphins. Y'all like that, huh? <laughs> Somebody's smiling right now. Ex-Miami Dolphins coach filed a lawsuit against the NFL and three teams alleging racism and the details of his head coaching searches. Okay. So the first thing, Brian Flores, there's two Brian's here. There's Brian Dabble and Brian Flores. Three and B Nelly. Um, Brian Flores was up for a job with the New York Giants and his former head coach in New England, Bill Belichick, sent him a text message congratulating him on getting the job, right? Congratulations. Congratulations. You got the job. Brian Flores responds, did you hear something I didn't hear? And Bill Belichick, yeah, the Giants love you. Brian Flores responds, but my interview isn't for another three days. <laughs> That's funny. You sure you're talking to the right Brian, coach. Oops, my bad. He was talking to the wrong Brian. So for those of you who don't know. The NFL has something called the Rooney Rule. The Rooney Rule means that each team needs to interview a person of color when they have an opening, at least one person of color. So they can interview 10 white guys or, or women. But they got to interview one person of color as well to check a box, so to speak. The Giants checked that box with Brian Flores by having him interview, let's say, on Thursday. But three days earlier, on Monday, they had already hired the other Brian. So Brian Flores was still going to on his interview, even though the job was already given to someone else. OK. Um. So, of course, Brian Flores is pissed. Like, y'all wasting my time coming up here. Y'all wasting my time um, bringing me on this interview. You already hired someone. So he put a lawsuit against the NFL for their hiring practices. In that lawsuit, he also brought in the Denver Broncos and their front office staff of John Elway and, and others. And said that John Elway came into the interview hours later or hour late and hung over. And eventually hired someone else 
It's ironic that the Denver Broncos are up for sale right now at an estimated $4 billion. Flores didn't stop there, as Denzel Washington said. He also put his former employers, the Miami Dolphins, in this suit and their owner, Stephen Ross, who allegedly, because we don't know, but allegedly offered to pay Flores $100,000 a game to lose so that they could um, increase their stock, their draft stock so they can get a higher pick. For those of you who don't understand that, which is clearly against the law in the NFL bylaws. So I guess we'll start there. Okay. If John Elway came in hungover, hey, me and the boys went out last night and I came to to work a little hungover, an hour late, whatever. It's not much you can really do about that. John Elway has already hired a black coach prior in Vance Joseph. So his record resume shows that he can hire a minority. So I'm going to give John Elway a pass on that one. I am curious to see, though, who buys that team. I'm curious to see if there's a minority who buys that team. Oprah, Tyler Perry, Diddy, Jay-Z, Beyonce, put your money together. Y'all got $4 billion together and buy the Denver Broncos. Why not? I'm curious to see if John Elway stays with that team. I'm curious to see if if they, quote unquote, gift that team to a minority group. Everyone puts their money together and buys a team. That's how it works. Not one person's going to put $4 billion. I mean, unless it's Jeff Bezos or those guys. But <clears throat> I'm curious to see where that goes. So, But I will give John Elway a pass. I think Tom Brady and Peyton Manning are actually going to put the group together and, and bid on that team. Um, I hope there's some minority ownership in that. The issue with the Giants is don't waste my time. Don't check a box on me. Yes, there are some guys who need the interview experience knowing they aren't they aren't going to get the job. But and they need that interview experience, that FaceTime, so to speak. I don't know what the Giants are going to do about that. The issue with the Miami Dolphins owner is this. If you're going against the if you're going against the NFL bylaws and trying to tank games. You could lose your franchise for that. Now, here's the crazy part about it. I remember saying something in line with the Antonio Brown saga um, a few episodes back, and you could hear the differences of opinions from a Dan Orlowski as opposed to a Marcus Spears. Right. And y'all know what I mean by that. There are some people who think that. A.B. was crazy. And there are some people who think that Bruce Arians and, and those guys were the ones that were doing too much on this in this particular situation. Denver Broncos, the New York Giants, the Miami Dolphins and the NFL put out their own press releases, pretty much saying this is def- defamatory and he's making this stuff up and w- no investigation. The NFL was quick to put out a press release saying, yeah, we don't believe him. This dude is he has receipts. Right. Hugh Jackson, the former the 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 Grambling coach that I spoke of earlier 
was a coach of the Cleveland Browns. He has also joined that lawsuit or thinking about joining that lawsuit because he said the same thing about the Cleveland Browns. We're paying him to tank games. And Cleveland Brown, of course, sent out a message saying they, they vehemently deny those allegations. So everyone's saying that Brian Flores is crazy for, and I'm using that word. They were, they didn't use that word, but he's making up a lot of that stuff. It's funny how people are quick to deny it and they don't even know. You know, everyone's saying it's baseless. Everyone's saying it's baseless. Yeah, no, it's baseless, his allegations. You know what they're not saying? They're not saying that there's a problem. So you can come out and say it's baseless, but there is a problem with minority um, hiring. You know what I mean? And they could say, although things didn't work out, we feel that there is an issue after they hired another person, you know, um, rather than sweeping it under the rug, like like Brian Flores is lying. You know, I guess the last hundred years of the NFL is proof that Brian Flores is lying. Right. Um, there's one black NFL coach in the 32 NFL teams. One black NFL coach in 32 teams. There were nine coaching vacancies. There's still three left, but six have been hired. And those six, you guessed it, are all white. Now, here's what I will say. You can hire whoever you want. You can hire whoever you want. And you're like, well, Derek, if you can hire whoever you want, what's your argument? Here's my argument. You're not giving people of color opportunities that you're giving to others. You know, you're comfortable hiring people who look like you, who talk like you, who have the same background as you. And I guess that's your right. But there's a lot of nepotism there. There's a lot of of of. Back door conversations. I can guarantee you have no proof of this, but I can guarantee you there are some owners in the league that are laughing at this pretty much like we don't care what Brian Flores says. We're going to still do what we're going to do. And that's the problem. I'm not saying that. So there's 77 percent black men in the NFL. I'm not saying that there needs to be 77 percent black coaches. In the NFL, I'll settle for half. I'll settle for half because what you're not going to tell me is there aren't, there isn't one or two or three qualified men of color over those 31 teams. There isn't one or two guys, Eric B or guys like that who can go coach a team. That has more uh, more on his resume than some of these new coaches that have been hired. And that's a problem that I have. It's it's continuous issue. Everyone's saying that. Flores is making this up, but no one is saying that there's still a problem and that's the problem. And so Flores is pretty much like, all right, shoot program. I'm putting cases on all of y'all. King Kong ain't got nothing on me. He's pretty much saying, okay, this is what you want to do. Okay. 
I can show you better than I can tell you. Now, he fell on a sword because he may not get, he had a hiring or an interview with the Houston Texans and the New Orleans Saints like the next day or two. I don't know if any owner is going to hire him. So he may have ended his career with the lawsuit. But sometimes, just like Colin Kaepernick, it's bigger than him. It's bigger than me. It's, it's about principle. And sometimes the principle is more than any job. Now, do I think that he'll get another job? I hope he can come to the Raiders. Like, seriously, he can be our D coordinator. I know Josh McDaniels got the job and, and I'm happy for Josh. And Josh has a, a history with Brian Flores. They were served on the same team. But kudos to Brian Flores for calling people out on their on they stuff. I don't know what's going to happen to it, but stay tuned. This decision by Brian Flores was courageous. How deep does this issue here go with the hiring practices around the NFL? Well, it's courageous, and I think it's been pointed out because Brian Flores – should be in the peak and really the peak of his coaching career not just his head coaching career but his coaching career and that he was and they're still in the middle of the hiring uh, cycle within the nfl so that's one reason why it's courageous how deep does it go too many layers to even list and some of it, some of it is systemic and i think even i as a 70 year old white man although my mother was Honduran, brian's uh, both his parents were Honduran, had to go back and just really study what systemic racism is. And I think there are owners out there and people in executive positions who don't understand it. But there are others you'd have to certainly question. I mean, the, the Stephen Ross issue at the Miami Dolphins head coach, think about that. Here's an owner who hired a black coach in Brian Flores, who has a black general manager in Brian Flores. Uh, I mean, not Brian Flores, but uh, Chris, Chris Greer. And yet... Right now, he's in the center of that, of this controversy. And what Brian Flores is offering up is, 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 is he's sacrificing himself right now for the greater cause. I know coaches in this league, uh, many of them white and black, and they don't think that 75% of the coaches should be black. I'm talking about head coaches because 75% of the players are black. They just think there's enough good ones that they've been identified. Why are they not getting hired? And I do not have the answer to that question. I really don't. Uh, all, I, all, I, all I would say, though, too, is I know one very qualified black coach who almost re refused to interview this week because he really felt he was being used. And he had to be talked into interviewing by a black peer because who assured him he was definitely a legitimate candidate. After this Brian Forrest lawsuit where you see what happened with the Giants and of course the Giants have answered that uh, it's fair for them to question everything. By the way, some backstory here too. Nine openings in this uh, coaching cycle. Four have been filled. All white coaches and five remain open. Flores interviewed with the Saints today. It has a second interview scheduled with the Texans. You mentioned Stephen Ross. In this lawsuit, it mentions Ross also attempting to provide an incentive to tank giving Brian Flores allegedly $100,000 for every game that the team lost that season in 2019. What kind of repercussions could happen because of this issue? 
because the league summarily dismissed this lawsuit today in terms of uh, their statement as not not having any validity to it. You know, it's basically saying, okay, why isn't the league saying we are going to investigate these allegations? Now, Forrest provided evidence in terms of the Giants' position uh, on the allegation of a hundred thousand dollars. Uh, being offered for him to lose a game, lose games in 2019, probably we need to see the evidence. I think this is going to get messy. I think it's going to get personal. I think the Dolphins will come back at it. But certainly, I know this much. I'm just going to leave it at this. In 2011, there were, I believe, 11 minority head coaches in this NFL. And the issue of Competitive balance is supposedly like, I mean, we, this is a league that spent millions investigating Tom Brady uh, for deflating footballs or allegedly, whatever you want to call it, and suspended it. And we're not going to call a timeout and investigate this and try to fix a broken system. It's got to be better. This is Scott Van Pelt with Lewis Riddick, who I wanted as my general manager of the Raiders. And because... We could, you're right, we could, we could spend the entirety of this hour on, on all of this because it's a lot. But I think our audience is pretty perceptive. They know that you're my friend. Hell, I've openly lobbied for you to get interviews, and it means we wouldn't work together, but I wouldn't care because it would mean that you're running an NFL team. You're not saying it. I'm saying it. Like, you're not a box to check. Your time's too valuable for that. I just wonder, what do as you look back on them, do they feel like you were being interviewed for a job you were really up for? I would say that not all of them felt the same, okay, as far as how serious the people on the other end were, as far as really looking at me as a viable candidate. But I can't say I ever came away from them feeling as though I was just checking a box for anyone. So, uh, you know, that that is a plus for me, personally. Mm-hmm. I think, though... Right now, it's really just about how do we, how do owners, how do we get owners to arrive at the conclusion that someone like myself, someone like Brian Flores, someone like Todd Bowles, someone like Leslie Frazier, someone like Eric Bieniemy, aren't just box checkers. Right. That they are judged on a fair and equal and level playing field, and ultimately they secure these jobs. That that's what, you know, that's what I'm, I'm sure Brian Flores is ultimately extremely, extremely frustrated about, just as many of the black uh, head coach candidates are right now, many of the black general manager candidates are. And I myself have been, you know, throughout my career. How do we really, how do we get it to the point where we aren't just getting FaceTime with owners and chief decision makers, but we're securing the jobs because we were the best qualified candidate, not because someone felt sorry for us, not because someone felt as though, well, we need to step up to the plate now and do something because we know that the representation is not where it needs to be, but because we were the ones who were most qualified and capable of leading your franchise. And right now, as the league is presently compromised, I don't know if it's set up to where we can get to where we want to get to unless some things change at the ownership level in a meaningful and significant way. So those are all courtesy of ESPN. And I'll just leave it at this. My team, the Raiders, aren't innocent in all this. When Reggie McKenzie was the general manager um, and they went 12-4, and the Oakland Raiders had 82% of their team were black athletes. 82%. Okay. He gets fired 
and get and Mike Mayock and Reggie McKenzie was a black is a black man. He gets fired and then Mike Mayock comes in. And you know the Raiders now have 67% black players on their team. So a 15% decrease in black players over the course of two to three years. Now, 15% may not seem a lot to you. But I bet if your boss came in and said, hey, we're going to give you a 15, we're going to take 15% off of your paycheck. You won't like it. Or we'll reverse it. Hey, we're going to give you a 15% raise. You would love it. So I don't care if you make minimum wage a million dollars a year. 15% is 15%. That's a lot. So in the span of three years, 82% black to 67% black. Maybe because Reggie McKenzie was doing some nepotism himself. Right? All I'm saying is this. And think about this. Because there are some people who are probably thinking that this is crazy and baseless. And here we go again. Black folks uh, playing the victim card and all that other type of stuff. Here's what I'll say. And I really mean this. If you don't think it's a problem. Then you're the problem. You have to know. That this is a problem. There are some folks out there who there's right and wrong, period. If you, I don't care what side of the fence you're on politically. If you don't think that this if you think this is OK and this is fair, or if you don't think that this is a problem. Just take a look in the mirror. It's a problem because if it were happening to you. You'd be all up in arms about it. Be well, people. I just want to play a couple of clips from the sports news cycle on what was happening, just so you guys can kind of see what others were thinking. Um, because it's good to hear others' perspective on it. So this is all courtesy of ESPN. Hi, Wilbon. What is your reaction to the lawsuit Brian Flores filed against the NFL today? Tell me my first reaction um, less than two hours ago when I heard about this. It went straight to Colin Kaepernick. It went straight to Brian Flores. God bless him for doing this. Takes courage. This takes sacrifice. Flores is not some dummy. He knows that if he goes up against the NFL legally with a class action suit, all right? I mean, the NFL, we've seen how evil the NFL can be. This basically takes him out of, of, of play for being an NFL coach like it took Colin Kaepernick out of play for being an NFL quarterback. And the first day that happened, I told you, Colin Kaepernick will never play in this league again. And he hasn't. And that's been, what was that, 2016 or to early 17? Now, Tony, we have Flores doing this. This, this. this, I mean, it brings up so many issues. First of all, a class action suit can bring an industry to its knees. And that includes the NFL. Don't know if it will. And we have plenty of time to examine that. But are we really having to go to the mat on the issue of black coaches in the NFL all these years later? We're still doing this. You pointed out to me recently, we were having a phone conversation. You said, wait a minute, there's one black coach in the league. I hadn't thought about it then. Mike, um, 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 Pittsburgh Steelers coach, Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin, Mike Tomlin. And so we're still dealing with this? Really? So to me, um, I... The, the bell just went off. I'm going to just talk for a while after the bell. 
To me, there seems to be a conflict here between two very obvious issues of fairness. One is if you are a business owner, I think it's fair for you to be allowed to hire who you want to hire for a specific job that you have. I think that's fair. By the same token, I am watching a group of people being systematically disenfranchised out of these jobs. And it is fair to hire these people and they don't seem to be able to get hired. Black coaches in the NFL, few and far between, and don't get as long a run, it seems to me, as white coaches. They're, these are essential issues of fairness that need to be resolved. I didn't think it would have to go to court. I've always been more optimistic than you about fairness issues. But obviously, it, it is now in court, and the NFL is going to have to prove that its practices are fair, and none of us think the practices are fair, because an entire swap of people are not getting these jobs, and they should. You know what? The NFL really, really doesn't want Tony to be talking about different times when there could be lawsuits brought against the NFL, certain things are settled. You know what the NFL really doesn't want in this circumstance as much as any has come up against? Discovery. Because when you start examining emails and letters and texts and conversations that might have been deemed private conversations that are no longer that, discovery it's gonna bring about a whole lot of information people might not want to hear that's it Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.